Good afternoon or good morning, more likely. Um, welcome to Just Ask. Um, I'm Tara Thompson. I'm a pharmacist here with Heather Quayle and Maureen Ryan, nurse practitioners. And we will um, introduce in a second, but I wanted to um, go ahead and introduce um, Just Ask. This is our platform for sexual health. So basically what we do is each month we pull in a sexual health expert in the field of sexual medicine. And we go over a particular topic. Um, this is geared toward patients. We want to give as much information, education, and help as we can. So basically, we're an advocacy panel. I'm just getting the word out there about different sexual health issues. So um, this month, we are actually talking about um, sexual health and in terms of intimacy after cancer. So post-cancer diagnosis, um, recovery, and how intimacy looks during that time and afterwards. So um, I will just go over quickly some of the initiatives and missions of Just Ask, our platform here. Um, feel free to follow us on Facebook um, and ask any questions that you feel come, that come up at any time and we'll get back with you, one, one of the three of us will. Um, you can ask them in public on the Facebook page itself on the video or you can send us a private message if you'd like to remain anonymous and we will um, answer your questions that way as well. So. Um, our initiatives at Just Ask are to promote the understanding and advocacy of conversations surrounding women's and men's health, sexual wellness, dysfunction, um, and then doing this by utilizing multidisciplinary experts in the field, including medical, pharmacy, pelvic floor therapy, and counseling. Our other initiatives are to debunk myths and taboos surrounding sexual dysfunction and other intimate topics while providing a safe and confidential space for conversation. And the last is to advocate for an evidence-based approach to educating members of the community and other clinicians on sexual health issues. These of which could include couples and intimacy, women's integrated healthcare approaches, functional medicine, lifestyle health, intimacy and cancer, male sexual health, sexual pain and pelvic floor, transgender and crisis medicine. Our mission here at Just Ask is to become a healthcare platform dedicated to providing evidence-based information by a multidisciplinary team of sexual health experts in order for individuals to make informed and optimal sexual health decisions and to learn and understand issues surrounding sexual dysfunction. So um, Heather and I, we started this panel back in 2019 um, about the around the middle of the year in 2019. And our vision was just, we, we there were so many different experts in the field of sexual medicine, although it is a very small field, um, everybody has a little different niche that they have in the areas of, of sexual health. So we wanted to just bring each person on the show and talk to them, um, ask questions, get answers, and open up a platform for you as the viewers to ask, ask any questions you want. So hence the name Just Ask. Um, I'm a pharmacist with Innovation Compounding, so um, I've been in this field for about eight years doing sexual medicine, um, more along the drug and pharmacology side, so um, any issues or topics surrounding that I can definitely help out on. Um, and then my colleague, Heather Quayle, who is on here, um, she is a women's health nurse practitioner. She's also a sexual assault nurse examiner, um, and she's working toward her ASEC certification in sexual counseling. So I'll let Heather talk a little bit about herself and then introduce Maureen. Thanks, Tara. So you guys see us every month. You kind of know who we are. 
And um, yes, I am a sexual medicine provider as well as sexual assault nurse examiner and a sexual counselor. I'm in the process of opening up my own sexual dysfunction center around sexual dysfunction and trauma. I'll be open in Woodstock in August, the end, towards the end of August of next month. And I will be um, inside my really good friend's pelvic floor physical therapy office. My center is called the Show Center, the Sexual Health Optimization and Wellness Center. Tara is actually going to talk a little bit more about that with me next month and kind of throw it out there a little bit more. So you'll learn a little bit more about what I'm building. So I'll leave that for next month. But I'll be in a pelvic floor therapy office with my really good friend, Sarah Bolden, that we've featured here before. So we're going to kind of encompass that whole biopsychosocial approach. But I have the absolute pleasure of having my really dear friend and colleague today, Maureen Ryan, on the show. Um, she's kind of what I like to call my swipe left, swipe right. We kind of joke about that. I found her online as I was kind of pursuing my own sexual health um, journey around becoming a sexuality counselor. I felt that there were not enough medical providers that were dual certified in this. And so I kind of did a precursory Google and Maureen comes up and she's in New York and I reached out to her and I said, hey, do you mind if we chat for a little bit? And it just kind of blossomed from there. So Dr. Maureen Ryan holds a doctorate in nursing practice. She's dual licensed as an adult health and women's health nurse practitioner. She's ASEC certified as a sexuality counselor and has been doing this for years and years. Um, she has been a mentor to me in the sexuality counseling world as I kind of build that aspect into my practice. She's board certified as a health and wellness coach and she educates her healthcare practitioners nationally and internationally on sexual health matters. As a sex therapist and a sexual wellness counselor, she believes that love and connection are central to human happiness, and she helps individuals and couples overcome the obstacles that hinder sexual fulfillment, opening the door to a deeper communication and an increase of love and affection. So I'm going to let her dive into that. You'll hear us talk quite a bit about biopsychosocial approach, and this is just one of those aspects in sexual medicine that if you don't have the medical, the physical therapy, the pharmacy and that counseling piece, um, we're really doing our patients a disservice. So I felt like it was so important to bring her on. So without further ado, I'm going to let Maureen talk a little bit more about what she does, and we're going to dive right in. Thanks for coming on, Maureen. Well, thank you. Thanks, Heather and Tara. Um, it's, uh, I'm really excited about this because I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and there's so much to talk about. And it is such an important topic, sexuality. And unfortunately, this is part, you know, a big component of people's lives, you know, the ability or the capacity to connect and love another human being. And unfortunately, there's a lot of areas where people um, develop, um, I'll just say barriers to this, and, and then um, feel stuck. So what I think is really important is to address what is important. And that is how can we help people live a better life? How can we help them identify what they want as far as intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, so that they can experience what they want. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know what they want. They just know that something's missing. And that is what uh, I like to help people figure out. 
Awesome. So let's kind of start with the basics. Like when I see someone as a medical health professional, oftentimes I find a medical problem, but then they go on to say, well, I hate my husband too, or I hate my partner, or I'm just, this isn't working. And those are kind of some of the areas I learned as a medical professional, I couldn't fix and that they needed counseling. And often when I ask, they're like, Hey, I, I have never done counseling. So is that kind of where I jump in and send them your way or how does, how do most people kind of get people towards your services? A lot of people just reach out to me. They do a search online um, because they don't want to ask or they don't know who to ask or um, guidance as to who do I go? Because actually a lot of healthcare providers don't know what's available out there. And so they're suffering. There's something that's causing them pain and that causes them to reach out. I also get a lot of referrals from the medical community. But um, that's where, where we start. And so you're right. If you just address the physical issues and you don't talk about the thoughts and the beliefs and the um, emotional aspects and the trust and vulnerability and all of those things, it's, you're, you're not going to help, help them get where they want to be. So it's never just about sex. It's never just I have pain or I have no desire. There's always thoughts and beliefs that go along with it. And so it really needs to be an integrated approach. And uh, a lot of this is helping people identify what it is that they really want to experience. No, and that makes, a, that makes a whole lot of sense. I also want you to kind of debunk what a sex therapist is or a sexuality counselor. A lot of people are terrified when we suggest going in for those type of services, like, oh, are they going to teach me how to have sex? Does it mean they watch me? Um, and I really want to debunk a lot of that because we know as professionals it's not, but I don't think sometimes the community knows that. Okay, so, as, um, so I'm a sexuality counselor and a nurse practitioner. So I have skills that um, I can uh, ask the right questions uh, so that if I, so I'm in the role of a counselor, but as a nurse practitioner, I know what to ask to make sure we're not missing anything as far as um, a physical factor that's um, causing their, their concern. And so um, where do we go? Yeah, when people first reach out, the first five minutes they're with me, they are really nervous. They're, I don't know what to expect. Rarely do they ask if I'm going to show them how to have sex or if they're going to get naked. Um, rarely does it happen, but immediately, no, that's not what happens. I help them. Um, it's really talking and helping them get clear about what it is that they want. So, um, so basically, we address the things that matter to that person. And, um, and it's different for everyone, but within five minutes, I tell them, you know, you know, thanks for reaching out because it's not easy. Um, and, and I tell them that, and this is the truth and 98% of the people that do reach out are glad that they reached out because they're felt to, you know, oftentimes they'll think that there's something wrong with them, that they don't have desire or they don't get aroused the way they used to. And they think that, um, something's wrong and a lot of times people are just fed information that's not true and when they realize that they're um that they are okay and what they experience is normal um it can relieve a lot of stress absolutely and how do you kind of start with some of these patients what's some of the first things that they can expect when they see you? are you going to like, I know it's multifaceted, but can you dive a little bit into what an, a therapy session looks like for them? 
Okay. So the first time I do get a history, just because I need to get a picture of, um, you know, what their past medical history is, what medications are on, because all of these things can affect um, their desire, um, their relationship. Um, are they in a relationship? Um, and if so, how long have they been in the relationship? Is it generally, are they satisfied? Um, is this a person you trust that you feel safe with? Um, and then, and then, and then I ask them, I just tell them, I say, there's something that caused you, is causing you distress. So just start anywhere. Just, you can start anywhere and just tell me what, what your concerns are. And then it just opens up and, and um, really expands from there. But my approach is this. When I first went to be a sex therapist, so I went to um, the Florida Sex Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida. And the approach that they shared with me was about all this dysfunction. And I just, it, it did not sit right with me. I did not want to label people as sexually um, dysfunctional because they had low desire when actually that can be a very functional response to a dysfunctional relationship. So I don't like labeling people. So I thought this is not working for me. I have to figure out a way that does, that does feel right, that makes sense to me. And so what I did was really explore a lot of different um, avenues. I found a lot of great mentors that really, that, that were heartfelt. They really came from a place that was sincere and they genuinely wanted to help people. So I learned a lot from really good mentors. I also developed my own model that, helped, that guided me in my practice. And one of them is like, I always look at emotional intimacies um, or, or emotional factors um, pertaining to intimacy. Um, physical factors, their body, um, what's going on in their body, are they checked out, are they thinking about something in the future or the past, I call it time traveling, and they're not even in the moment where good sex takes place. So we, uh, there's a lot of work that's done with mindfulness and learning how to become embodied to get back in their body. And then ways to um, improve sexual arousal and um, the experience overall. So uh, I know you kind of talked a little bit about a pathway like you'd like to follow. You've said like body image, and I know that you make beautiful PowerPoints and imagery. So if we want to put some of those up, we can, and we can kind of talk through them too. Uh, okay. But I want people to kind of understand um, that you kind of look at the whole person. Yeah. So we're multifaceted. So we have, I think about the brain, we have thoughts and beliefs, oftentimes stories that are not true information that we got that is not, that are basically missed and set us up for suffering. Things that we do when we compare ourselves to what we see on the cover of magazines. I always say this is a Theodore Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of all joy. And that's absolutely true. Um, it, and, uh, and then, then we've got a heart and emotions. And many people are, are wounded along the way. So they build armor up around them and no one's gonna get through there. And so um, sometimes recognizing that and knowing how to let some of that armor go because true connection occurs with an open heart. Right. An open mind and an open body. And then with physical, so you've got a physical body. So what factors are going on? Stress, fatigue, all of those things, um, bubble vaginal atrophy, um, pain. So it's really, it's multifaceted. It's never just um, the physical body. What are some tips for breaking down that armor? Like what are some of the things you start with? Cause that's a long-term thing for some people. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's, a lot of times it's trauma. Yeah. So um, I kind of go step back and say, you know, what are, 
your needs and values. And so I, I really think it's important to start from a place of helping them um, get clarity about what it is that it, that's important to them. And let's say one of their, um, you know, the most important values to them is, is trust and um, connection, but yet there was somebody who's not trustworthy. So a lot of it is internal work. You know, what is it that, it, that I have? Um, you know, do I trust myself? Do I self-abandon? And many people do this, many women do this. They take care of everybody else's needs to the detriment of their own. And then they end up not even know who, who they are anymore. Um, many women take on roles, you know, a mother, a wife, um, caregiver, and that sensual sexual woman that once existed inside of them is really put on the back burner. And so one of the things that's very, you know, that's really quite awesome in this work is helping her to find that essence in herself and to, um, to step into that again. And that brings life and it brings vitality and creativity. Uh, so. Awesome. Awesome. And then you talked a little bit about mindfulness. What exactly does that mean? And we hear about it a lot more now, but what does it mean in the sexual health world? Okay. Uh, mindfulness is huge. Uh, what does mindfulness do? Well, mindfulness teach, it's a skill that needs to be practiced. And what it does is it allows us to be in the present moment with, with, uh, without judgment and acceptance of what is in this moment. So sexually, a problem that many women have is they get distracted in their thoughts. They get caught up in the story in their head when they're, having, uh, when they're sexually intimate. It's like you might as well not even be there because you're not there. Well, how do I start? How do I you know, turn off my, the thoughts that just won't stop? Well, there are skills. There are ways that you can do it. And mindfulness is one way. So mindfulness um, is practices oftentimes include body scan meditations. So you learn to focus on different sensation in the body. Sensual touch exercises also help people get in, in, in their body and quiet their mind. So um, that's a skill. You can learn to quiet the mind down by focusing on your body and your senses and easiest one to do is the sense of touch so when their mind you know being sexual sexually intimate and their mind is to the grocery store um mm -mm, come on back so what am i going to do i'm going to focus in on what i'm feeling what am i touch what's the temperature what's the pressure what's the texture um and i just keep coming back into the body over and over again so embodiment is a part, good part of good sex and that is um you learn to do that. You learn to get back in your body through mindfulness practices. And again, it shuts down the story we're making up in our head. Because a lot of times when people are, sec are having sex, they're in their partner's head and you have no business going there because you are not a mind reader and you're probably making up a story. It's not very good. Right. So you do a lot of work around um, sexuality and cancer. And I want to spend a good part of this program kind of going a little bit really kind of in detail about it, because I feel like it's something that's often very kind of put on the back burner or people that have cancer often say, oh, well, I guess I can't have sex anymore because my body doesn't work or I'm too embarrassed to see my partner. So kind of start by giving us kind of like 
where, where that all kind of falls into play. How do you use kind of that biopsychosocial approach? Like I see someone at my center, they have cancer, they have vulvovaginal dryness and some issues around that. And then I need to also kind of help them work on their relationship. Where do you step in in that piece? Well, I think it's really helpful if you can get to them before, uh, you know, right when the diagnosis is made. And I know that their mind is going to lots of different things and, you know, a lot of decisions to be made. But um, what happens sometimes is people will shut them off from themselves off from their partner and start to try to go it alone. And that is not the time to be doing that. Um, when something like, you know, diagnosis is, is made like this, you really need people in your life that you love and that, that can, you can support one another. So the example of breast cancer, I, oftentimes I hear the story, well, you know, my partner won't touch my, you know, my chest anymore, my breasts. And I try to help them think about what's underneath the breast. There's a heart. So like connecting with the heart. And um, connecting with, the, with the, the essence of the person that you love and coming together and not and to touch. Oftentimes people will stop touching and that's, that can be the worst thing to do because touch heals, touch comforts, touch um, brings you back from this chaotic world to a sense of being at home. And to give that up at a time that you need it most it's such a loss. I mean, there's so many losses that occur and so much grieving, but that's one that I really try to help um, prevent, to help people stay together, to keep touching, um, to talk, to communicate, and don't turn away from each other at that time. What are some of the most... Um most common sexual problems that you see? Because unfortunately, I mean, it's great to get them before the cancer diagnosis, but often by the time I'm seeing them, they're seeing me because they've seen so many providers that can't help them. And then they finally realize, oh, there's a sexual medicine provider that can help me. So what do you feel are the most common problems that you're seeing because of cancer? Um, low desire. And so um, what, what, what was prior to um, treatment may no longer be. So if a woman had, not all, but some will notice that their body just doesn't respond the way they used to. They just don't get, have that spontaneous desire. They just are not thinking about sex. And so helping them to understand that the cue for you or the reason for reaching out to your partner may not be this, you know, I'm horny or, you know, sexual, spontaneous sexual desire, but identifying the reasons that are important to you. Why does it matter? Why does a sexual relationship matter? Um, really connecting with your why. And then um, that's where the desire comes from. So it's not going to come from the hungry body. It may not for many women, but it'll come from the mind or the heart. So, you know, kind of, uh, it's a new way, a new approach. Also, um, sexual you know, arousal occurs in a state of relaxation. So how can you create an environment, both internally and externally, that really facilitates relaxation? And this needs to be intentional often. Um, so setting aside time where people have, a, you know, there's pri privacy, um, Actually, even before I get to the context, I want to talk about willingness. So thinking about helping a woman 
um, think about why does it matter to her to to have why is sexual intimacy important to them personally and to the relationship and to the partner? All of those really, all of those reasons. And if she can connect with her own personal reasons, like I want to feel close, I want to feel pleasure, that's much more likely to help as opposed to help somebody get moving forward um, because that draws them forward as opposed to I'm trying to stay away, I'm trying, I don't want to um, experience. Um, no, negativity or something that I'm just doing it to avoid conflict. So really helping people to connect with their why. And then the next thing is willingness. So again, so that spontaneous desire for, for sexual intimacy may not exist, but just willingness to show up. And people talk about this date night and um, oftentimes that will kind of like make people avoid because they think it's gonna, that means sex night. I don't look at it like that. I look at like date night or, or putting aside time once a week or twice a week to get in bed, skin to skin contact. And, and that's all just a willingness to do that. Sometimes people will just fall asleep and that's fine. But to show up in that place with non-judgment and acceptance of what happens and no expectations. And then once uh, people, a couple starts to relax, um, and skin-to-skin -skin contact, then then arousal may occur, and then the desire comes. Typically, I say to a lot of women, like you're not going to want to be in the game until the third quarter of the game, so you got to get into the game. And so, um, and then how do we deal with the um, you know side effects of medications and treatments that can inhibit arousal? And there are a lot of things that can be done, you know. Um, First of all, if a woman's having pain, she's going to avoid it. Right. And that sets up another, you know, um, that, that can just balloon out into all sorts of things. And right. another thing I want to mention is that when sex is going well in a relationship, it adds about 20% of the good stuff to the relationship. But when it's not, it can rob the relationship of anything good up to like 70 to 80%. So it can, it can destroy relationships. I mean, the divorce rate is almost 50%, right? Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, and that's high for sure. For sure. What about, um, what about bringing the, the partner in with the counseling? Do you often do that? Do you start one-on-one -on -one just so that our um, lay people know what to expect? Okay. I, I prefer to see each person one-on-one -on -one so I can get a history because there are some things people don't want to say in front of their partner. They don't want to hurt them or they haven't shared parts of their story. So I, I find that it's helpful to spend um, time one-on-one -on -one with each other and then coming together because it really is a couple issue. And when you can get two people on board creating the same vision of what it is that they want and having them hear from me um, a lot of the things that they bought into that are, are not true. Like you don't, if you don't finish with an orgasm, then the whole experience was a failure. I mean, things like that, that just get people into trouble. So I clear up a, a lot of myths together and then they get on, you know, they work together, you right. know, they're a team. They're a sexual team that if, if they want to have sex, you know, into their seventies, eighties, that's enjoyable. They learn to adapt to changing bodies right. and to flow and to give up expectations. And, and uh, there's no judgment in the bedroom, but just allow things to unflow. 
to, to flow and unfold. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Whoever has sex. And do you often start with them going um, together or do you start with them separately just so that they kind of know? Like I know you said you, start, you like them to one-on-one. I just want to know how a woman who often is the initiator brings their partner to come even see you. Like what are some of those okay. ways to get that to happen? Um, sometimes people just are, they've got a good relationship. They realize that they want something to be different, that they, there's room for improvement, that they can experience something more enjoyable. And so they'll both be willing to come. But what I've been finding since, um, March, I've been doing my visits all virtually and it's been really great to get the um, couples together because I may have been more... (laughs) I and this has happened a lot since um, March, but I've had, I'll just give one example. I, I was seeing um, one older man in his seventies uh, for, for a couple months, um, just, he had uh, prostate cancer and he had uh, other sexual concerns. His wife wanted no part of that. You know, she was not happy that he was coming to see me. And she thought I was like, he was telling me lies about her and stories. And so I started seeing them online. Well, then she started listening. And then she, I, you know, I said, Oh, you know, who are you looking at? My wife? Oh, I so and so. And then now and then she was on board. And she never would have gone to counseling. Because she, you know, it was great because she was heard. And, uh, you know, it's a team effort. I always like to focus on their strengths. I always ask, what are the strengths in the relationship? Right. And and so building on strengths, not focusing on deficits. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, when they come to you and there are um, other problems outside of just, I guess, I guess, like you said, desire is one of the big things. What do you do when there's like a pain issue, for example? Um, I know it's kind of a multifaceted approach and probably pain causes the desire. I mean, I know it's a vicious cycle, but those, I tend to see those are probably my biggest issues that I refer for. Right. So oftentimes I'll, um, many of the patients are in the GYN practice that I, um, you know, am in. And so um, I always want them to be evaluated to find out. So pain, you know, sometimes there are simple strategies that you can do that can help. Sometimes there's vaginal dryness. So lubricant, um, moisturizers a couple times a week, and, and that can take care of the issue. Um, sometimes it's, you know, that anxiety, that fear of pain, and now she's mm-hmm. gonna try and protect herself. So her pelvic floor um, uh, contracts, and, and so penetration is very uncomfortable. That's very common. So m- mindfulness practices helps with that. Um, if, but they always, if somebody's complaining of pain, I want them to be evaluated, um, to be seen by GYN. Yeah. Because I can't tell just from talking to them, but once that their, the exam was normal and we've got an idea of what it is. Yeah. Uh, lubricants, moisturizers, um, maybe estrogen dilators. I've had a lot of luck with, um, women who have had, um, very tight pelvic floor and just can't get a tampon in or, or, you know, have sex. And so working with dilators with them has given them, it's been amazing, just the confidence that they get and um, understanding that, yeah, they can accommodate that without pain. 
awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk to them quite a bit about dilators, even in my practice, and even vibrators and um, clitoral stimulators and all those different kind of things. Do you talk to them a lot about other ways to be intimate and kind of really debunking that whole idea of penis and vagina intercourse and things in that nature? Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's a, a model that I use often. It's called Sternberg's Triangular Theory of Love. And so basically he describes love is um, like a, a triangle. And so each point is um, one of the components is emotional intimacy. One is commitment and one is passion. And so there are couples who have a great deal of emotional intimacy and commitment, but there's no passion, but their relationship is rock solid hard because, because no one, neither of them um, is interested in passion or anymore. So they've got a very companionable relationship and they're very, very happy. Some people have all three. So they've got passion, they've got emotional intimacy and commitment and, um, you know, consummate love, they, they've got it all going. Um, but oftentimes people come to see me because the passion has died. And how do you get passion alive or desire alive back in a relationship? Well, it's intentional. It starts with, um, you know, really reflecting on what it is that's, that's important. Sometimes things are so basic is like, you got to take a shower and brush your teeth. Right. You know, right. Something is so simple as that. And sometimes people have a hard time saying that to their partner. So I say those things. Sometimes they're just not getting aroused. So vibrators, you know, bringing in sexual arousal enhancers. I've had a lot of couples who look at me from, um, uh, who are just not interested because they're not getting that much pleasure out of it anyway. So I talk to them about vibrators and I often recommend the Hitachi magic wand. It's a back massager. It's not a vibrator. That's what I tell them. So if somebody finds it in their bedside stand, their nightstand, it's a back massager. It's not a vibrator. Um, so anyway, so they look at me, some couples like I have two heads when I say, um, ask a, um, you know, go get a vibrator. And then they come back two weeks later, right. like all giggly and like, oh my gosh, I, now I've got my yes. I found my yes. Um, and then there's, um, so vaginal moisturizers and uh, lubricants. So I'm curious, what do you, what do you recommend? So I'm, I am big on vaginal estrogens. I'm big on vaginal moisturizers. A lot of times in even cancer patients, I will actually draw estrogen values um, pre-treatment, start them on treatment and redraw them somewhere around the four to eight weeks later pending and actually give them to their oncologist so that I can show that vaginal estrogens have minimal to no systemic absorption because it's one of the things that I spend a lot of time in my medical world talking to patients about um, because their oncologists are so nervous about estrogen components and things in that nature. I use a lot of testosterone creams as well, compounded DHEA, um, and then vaginal moisturizers in between as well. Yeah, and same here. I mean, I think the majority of what I typically see around um, treatments for vaginal pain, vaginal dryness, atrophy, um, vulvovaginal conditions, vestibular conditions is vaginal estrogens, vaginal testosterones, the DHEAs are wonderful. Um, they can, they don't have to be the, um, highest strength. You can get them compounded at half strength. So you can get them in different, 
um, bases like oils and um, coconut oils and emu oils and that type of thing for patients who are sensitive. Um, even if patients are hormone naive or if they absolutely do not want to use any type of hormones, we see a lot of um, non-hormonal lubricants containing hyaluronic acid, vitamin E, and those types of things. So there are certainly options out there. And I think that's some of the questions that we get the most from providers as well is, um, you know, I have a patient who's post hysterectomy or, you know, not just menopausal patients. Um, and also men too, just asking what types of things can the men use for um, their erectile dysfunction post prostatectomy and that type of thing. So um, lots of um, erectile dysfunction options, as well as vaginal moisturizers and lubricants both hormonal and non-hormonal options out there. Yeah, and, and so this doesn't happen overnight. So somebody coming in and, and you know, having um, symptoms of vaginal atrophy and pain, it's not going to go away overnight. So that's why it's great to have a couple have a similar vision and a game plan because, uh, you know, um, let's say Mal goes to the uh, urologist and gets Viagra. Well, you know what? No way. If a woman, if they haven't had sex in years and they go and attempt it without, you know, communication, without a game plan, without addressing, um, you know, vaginal dryness or atrophy, it's a, it's a setup for failure. That's why counseling, it really helps, you know, the um, refills for prescriptions for PD, you know, Viagra, things like that. Um, you need to talk first. Yeah, absolutely. And I, Tara and I have some stuff on dilators and things to even share. I know you've written some stuff on moisturizers. Do you mind if we share some of that information in our, um, on our Facebook page platform too? Because sometimes people just need to know the questions to ask their providers when they're not local to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Maureen, I know that you had a, um, a really great um, presentation that you had made. Do you want to just put that up for maybe a couple minutes while we wrap up and show or let our audience know um, some of the things that you've been working on um, at your particular practice? Because you showed it to me and I loved it. I thought it was just so fantastic. And um, I just feel like it'd be such a great resource for our patients as well. Okay. So there is one, um, well, this one, sexual health matters. It's more um, generic than uh, addressing um, the Sorry. sexual side effects that, that occur after cancer treatment. So we have another one for that. But basically, sexual health, it's important across the lifespan. It's a basic need for connection. And a lot of people, when their need for um, intimacy, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy is not met, it hurts. And when it hurts, people don't want to feel pain. So they're going to numb themselves out. And they numb themselves out with overeating, drinking, drugs, shopping, you know, sex, all things like that. So it's really, you know, when there's behaviors that are not helping you, look for the underlying need that's not being met. And oftentimes it is a sense of really connection with another person. Because, you know, good sex, um, physical intimacy, is good for so many reasons. It's good for the brain. It's a reboot for the brain. It's a, um, a way of um, um, releasing the feel-good hormones, uh, dopamine and oxytocin. But it's a sense of being at home. 
people want to feel at home. And a lot of times people feel at home um, when they're in bed, when they're being held or holding their partner. And another thing that's uh, interesting is that after a couple has sex, there's been studies that show if they cuddle for just five minutes, um, they're at the uh, uh, event, the sexual event or activity they did, is going to be viewed much more favorably than if they just get up and, you know, get cleaned up or go to the shower. So that cuddling after is really important. It's doing things to the brain. Um, and again, people are, um, couples are getting divorced. Divorce has a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage from divorces. You know, kids get hurt, families get hurt, communities get hurt. So sometimes if they can just get it going again sexually, that's enough to build a bridge back and, um, and really improve, improve. People feel rejected when their partner doesn't want to touch them. And that's a terrible feeling. Or they, they're laying in bed next to somebody and they feel so alone. That causes pain. And those things need to be addressed. Brene Brown is, um, if, you, if you haven't listened to her, listen She's to her TED Talk. Yeah, awesome stuff. Um, she talks about vulnerability and shame. Um, and and th those are big areas that affect um, sexuality. Perfectionism, women feel like they, their bodies have to be perfect. Forget it. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be thin enough, beautiful enough, smart enough, you know, rich enough. It's just be who you are. Just yep. be you. Um, this is, uh, this is important. I, I talked about this briefly. This is, um, Barry McCarthy did this research. So sex and relationship quality. When, when it's good, it adds 15 to 20% additional value to the relationship. But when it's not, when it's avoided or dysfunctional or one partner is not interested in, and the needs are not being met, it plays an inordinately powerful role. Um, I have to move this down because I see your pictures there. Role in draining the relationship of all positive value, about 50 to 70%. And that's what leads to um, you know, the end of marriages when it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Absolutely. And a lot of people aren't enjoying sex because it's not pleasurable. Well, you know what? When you don't share with your partner what feels good or you haven't discovered what feels good, um, uh, you know, you need to communicate. And I have, you have one of those too, the velvet vulva pillows. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So I pull, pull this out. I'll pull, can I pull it out right now? I got it right here. Yeah, pull it out. I was going to, I didn't, you had what I was going to tell Tara to pull hers. Yeah, this is really helpful. And again, I'm going to tell you couples just like cringe when I do this at first, but then they, then they're on board very quickly. So this is the velvet vulva. So a lot of people are not familiar with anatomy. So here's the clitoral hood, the clitoris, the labia minora and labia majora. Well, the clitoris is where most orgasms are triggered for women. Um, most women do not have orgasms from vaginal um, penetration alone, less than 30%. But when you look at the clitoris, I ask them, okay, do you know where the hot spot is? Meaning like, what, where, what is the spot that for a lot of women, there's one spot that is um, very sensitive that will get them over the hump and, and um, lead them to orgasm. And so I'll say, do you know where it is? And I'll look at them. And, and if it's a male-female couple, males like this, and she's like, oh. So it's like, okay, we're starting from square one, all right? Pretend you don't know anything. So um, 
he's a clitoris is a clock. So what spot feels good? What kind of pressure circles um, fast, slow? And so now she can get what she wants. If she's getting what she wants and it's pleasurable, she's more likely to show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yes, I would love to even if you're comfortable, if you want to make some of this available on our Facebook, that would be great. If there's more questions that come up around this, that would be um, wonderful, wonderful as well. Um, did we have any questions that came up in our, um, on our Facebook? I don't, I'm not sure if there was. But um, if there is, if there are questions that come up that you weren't able to ask today, as Tara had mentioned, we can, um, we can put those out there on our Facebook chats and messengers and things in that nature as well. Yeah, I know, Maureen, thank you so much. We could, I could listen to you talk all day. I was like very intrigued and I have my three students here and they're just, I mean, we're all just like fascinated. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on here with us. And we really, really appreciate your time and your knowledge is just, I mean, it's just such a fountain of knowledge and really, really, really cool. Is. I think, I, I definitely think people needed to hear this um, and it spoke to those who are, who are suffering from these particular issues and know that there is ways out there to get help. And you do not have to do this by yourself. You do not have to do this in, in quiet. You can go find, there are resources out there and we will post what we have on resources um, as well as Marine's information so that if anyone is wanting to get in contact with her, she does telehealth. So, um, That's why, yep. And you don't, I'm, am I correct in saying with sexual counseling, they don't, do they have to live in New York to see you? For insurance. Um, I don't know what the laws are for insurance, but I'm also a coach. So people who don't live in my state, then I have, um, then I move into the role of a coach and there's a different um, coaching agreement for that. So I can see anybody anywhere. Perfect. That's Perfect. awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we will put all your information for our patients who are following Just Ask um, to also follow you, go find you and, and ask questions. And we really encourage our patients to, um, to ask questions as well, because that's what we're here for. We want to provide education and knowledge that you need. Um, so I'll go ahead and wrap us up. I know um, it's been about 45 minutes. So We'll wrap up now, but um, just for next time, um, we are going to actually showcase a man on our show <laughs> for the first time ever. We are allowing a man to come in, um, but he will talk about um, male sexual dysfunction, mostly in terms of erectile dysfunction and how that plays into intimacy and sexual health from a man man's perspective. So um, we're very excited about that, um, and it, it should be a fun show because he has much personality. So, um, Give us his name, please, so that we all can look forward to him, because I'm yes, excited. His name is Sean Hodges. He's a pharmacist um, and CEO, and he um, actually started our men's health line here at Innovation Compounding. He knows everything. He counsels patients. He um, ca consults with docs and urologists, urogynes, OBGYNs all over um, He's so supportive of the medical community and just yes. a wealth of information. Absolutely. So stay tuned. We'll get you more information on that. But um, in the meantime, thank you so much, Maureen. You are amazing. We really appreciate yes. you. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank y'all.